Today, we're going to be talking about three different arguments we hear on the streets. Abortion is just a decision between a woman and her doctor. Abortion is just a decision between a woman and her God. And if you don't adopt all the unwanted children, you're not actually pro-life and you should not be fighting abortion. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is Cameron, my good friend and co-host. How are you, sir? I am living the dream, sir. I, I mean, more or less. Right now, we're in a crazy heat wave in Calgary, so I'm not loving that. I'm a Victoria boy, which means I am like 18 degrees Celsius and mildly rainy is my, my go-to weather. And so 35 and hot is not doing it for me. But we just got the intern team back from... Um, foremost Alberta, small town Alberta. They just trained 22, I believe, new people in how to have good, effective conversations wow. about abortion. And I'm batting 11 for 19 in my baseball league. So life is good. I'm, I'm well above the Ted Williams mark. I'm, I'm aiming for 600 this year. Um, life is good. I can't complain. How are you, sir? <laughs> That's good. Doing really well. I uh, had a good week away, weekend away with my wife and kids. Went to the cottage, did some fishing, uh, spent some time with family. So that was fun. And then uh, I'm I'm going to the the uh, to the interns in the Greater Toronto area tomorrow, um, and they're going to be delivering some presentations. Uh, they're like mock presentations so that mm. we can sit there and, and uh, constructively criticize them and help them grow and their presentation skills so that they too, Cam, like your interns, can go out and give training to people across Canada so that more and more people can be effective pro-life advocates. Bingo. Well, if you're new to the show, uh, like, I, like I said, my name is Peter. That's Cam. We are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children here in Canada. And we've started this podcast to give you the tools that you need to change hearts and save lives from abortion. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you who have been with us for some time, you know that we have a Patreon account. You can be you can become a patron, and some of you have. So thank you so much for that. You can join us in our mission to equip people, not just in Canada, but around the world, to have good conversations. And you help us uh, continue to, you know, allow Maddie and, and, and Attila, our two wonderful producers, to keep producing really great content for your podcast catcher or for YouTube. So thank you so much to those who have joined. If you haven't, check us out, patreon.com slash guys. Check out the merch, check out the tiers, and become part of this movement to equip those uh, other pro-lifers around the world to be effective ambassadors. So today we're going to, uh, we're having another apologetics-focused discussion. And you may have thought, 
when I said my introduction, the uh, what the three arguments would be. Abortion is between uh, a woman and her doctor alone. Abortion is between a God, God and a woman uh, alone. And if you're, you know, if, if you actually call yourself pro-life, you should probably adopt all the unwanted children, uh, you and your community, so you can actually be consistent. And you might be thinking when you hear something, something like that, that, yeah, I mean, that seems easy. That makes sense. Why would we have to have a whole episode on something like this? And I got that feeling. I understand it from time to time. We we hear an argument. We're like, yeah, we can. I mean, that's a that's a that's not a good argument for these these three or four reasons. But this is why we want to share uh, our thoughts on some of these argument arguments. And it's because not everyone. Uh, these arguments don't make sense to everyone quite like they do to us. And just because we might know something to be true, that doesn't mean that we know how to effectively communicate that true thing. And our goal is not to debunk others. Our goal is not to win arguments. As we've talked about in the past, our goal is to win people, have effective conversations and, and have good conversations so that people will change their minds and so that babies will be saved and our, our culture will be transformed. And so let's dive into the first one, Cam. Abortion is between a woman and her doctor alone. You've heard that on the streets. I've heard that on the streets in conversations that we've had. So could you introduce us to this argument a little bit? When you hear something like this, what do you think the person saying that is getting at? Yeah, so I, I've heard this, like you mentioned, it, a ton of times, and and I always think of a woman, a young woman I spoke to at Mount Royal University here in Calgary, Alberta, um, who brought this up, and really what she was getting at, and what so many people are getting at, is this idea of just leave me alone. This is such a personal decision. Pregnancy is such an intimate um relationship and scenario and your body is changing so dramatically and and your I mean your hormones are are being um kind of thrown all over the place and all this kind of stuff there's so much going on who are you to tell me what's going on and not just who are you but this is not the time for philosophy this is not the time for abstract intellectual um ideas we're not this isn't about politics we we hear so often that Abortion is just a political issue and that it shouldn't range anywhere further. Ironically, it was politician Pierre Elliott Trudeau who said that the state has no place in the bedroom of the nation, um, that this should be just between a, a woman maybe and her husband. But yeah, more often than not, between a, a woman and her doctor, that this is so personal, that this is so different case by case in exactly what the mother is going through that nobody has enough information to tell her what she ought to do or ought not to do apart from her doctor. That's often the way that I see it play out. And that's often what I find that people are kind of getting at. It's not just a matter of leave me alone in general, but leave me alone because you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my medical history. You don't know me like my doctor knows me. Leave it to somebody who's an expert. Leave it to somebody who knows me better than you, I guess. That's where I find people are often getting at. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand that. And one of my first reactions, Cam, is I really want to refute this. I really want to take this. Uh, I remember a conversation that that you shared before that you had, I believe it was in high school with your teacher who said, uh, who brought up the Freakonomics book and, and said, you know, shouldn't we be allowed to have abortion um, because the crime rate lowers and you're like, but it's a baby. And uh, your teacher's like, I know it's a baby, um, but, you know, the crime rate and your response was, but it's a baby. And so, like, 
the reaction I have and I want to give is, you know, the first thing I want to say is, no, I'm going to refute that by saying, no, we're actually not just talking about you, but there's a preborn child that's impacted. And while that's true, you've often taught us time and again, and this is something I, I consistently remember, don't just refute someone. Uh, and so if we're not going to refute someone in that sort of sense, just they make a statement like this, a claim like this, and we're like, no, but there's a baby, end of story, as it were. How can we respond to this? How can we use common ground analogies and question some of these tactics that we've shared in the past to just like really have a good conversation when someone brings up this point? Yeah. And so extra reason why we don't want to refute this, because I've I've tried it before and I've seen other people try it before. Of like, but what about the baby? And it's like, yeah, the baby's in there, but like it's two against one. We agree that we should have an abortion. We're, we're democratic in our decision. Obviously, the, the baby doesn't want to get aborted, but both me and my doctor think abortion is a good thing. And so it's two against one. Abortion's okay, which really isn't how democracy works, but I, I digress. So um when we talk about common ground analogy question, this this applies to basically everything. The common ground that I would build would be something very simple. I mean, you and I agree that nobody likes a backseat driver. I I have a really hard time with backseat drivers. It's probably because I'm a little bit insecure about my driving. I'm overconfident, and so I, I get a little bit insecure when I get comments from my parents or from other people driving in the car. Nobody likes a backseat driver. Nobody likes when people try to solve problems that they don't understand. I agree with that. The analogy, I think you can go a couple different ways, depending on the nature of the conversation. The simplest and most basic form of trotting out the toddler is simply this. Imagine that a mother was going to um, make a decision with her doctor to kill a born child. Imagine she went to the doctor and said, you know what, this kid is driving me crazy. I can't, I can't sleep. I can't um, focus on myself. I am becoming more and more unhealthy. I think the only thing that is available to, um, for me is for me to kill my born child. Thankfully, in Canada, most doctors would not help her kill her born child. But imagine if a doctor was. Would we ever say that that decision to kill a born child is just up to her and her doctor? Obviously not. So the pivot question to bring us back to the humanity of the preborn is, why is it okay for you to tell your neighbor not to kill their born child and that that's not a decision just between your neighbor and their doctor, but the decision to kill a preborn child is a decision between a mother and her doctor. I think that's fair. If you want to integrate a little bit of humor, I love at times, not that abortion is a funny topic, but because humor can build rapport with the people that you're talking to. I don't know how many people listening to the show are fans of the American sitcom, The Office. Maybe you're a fan of the British sitcom, The Office. Um, if you are, I commend you for that, but I also encourage you to watch the American version of The Office. And there's this wonderful episode where Michael is trying to disprove um, his temp staff, uh, Ryan, or he's not temp anymore, he's, he's the uh, regional manager, the whatever, working in the head office, trying to prove that technology is not best for business. And so Michael goes off dropping off fruit baskets and whatever. And on the drive back, he and Dwight Schrute are in the car and the GPS is telling him to turn right. And Michael thinks that he's that it's saying turn right immediately into a lake. And Dwight Schrute is trying to say like, no, 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 it's saying turn right up there at the intersection. And Michael's like, no, it's saying turn right now into the lake. And there's this big argument back and forth. Dwight Schrute was an uh, appropriate backseat driver because the decision that Michael was about to make was going to harm both of them. Certainly, I think that's appropriate. When a decision is going to 
harm anybody, but especially when it's going to harm multiple people, it's absolutely appropriate for backseat drivers. I, I may get frustrated when my mom um, asks me if I'm doing the speed limit and I have to confirm with her time and again that I am doing the speed limit, but I'm very appreciative when my mom points on a skateboarder that I somehow missed coming off of the sidewalk and that if she didn't mention it, I wouldn't have slammed it on the brakes and I would have run him over. That's a longer analogy. You can do whatever is appropriate for the nature of the conversation that you're in. The question is always going to be the same, though. It pivots back to the humanity of the preborn. If it's not, if it is okay to be a backseat driver when giving feedback about protecting born humans, why is it not okay to be a quote unquote backseat driver when it comes to decisions that are going to harm preborn children? If we're not going to let a doctor and a mother make a decision alone to kill a born child, why are we going to let them make a decision alone to kill a preborn child? We need more people in there, not even factoring in the amount of uh, ridiculous, not pressure, but like some ways pressure that puts on doctors that, that we're expecting the doctors to um, counsel the mother and understand their entire family situation, and all this kind of stuff and be good philosophers and be moral um decision makers and all that kind of thing. The, the doctor, though they're not simply a, a technician, I don't want to reduce them to you're bringing in yourself, which is the equivalent of a car. I mean, not to diss automotive mechanics and whatnot. I'm sure that I'm digging myself a hole here, but um, we, we should not be expecting doctors to make our decisions for us. We should be making them together with all of the information available, whether that's coming from our spouses, from society, from others, in informing us whether a decision is going to kill another human or not. That, that's what I'd say, Peter. Does that make sense to you? That does, yeah. And if you'd allow, I'll sum it up just briefly. So you're creating common ground. None of us like someone else really to speak into our lives and be like, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is where you're wrong. This is where you're right. Uh, we love we love when people say this is where you're right. But just being that backseat <laughs> driver telling us where to drive. Cam, I'm coming to uh, to Calgary in August, and I ha happen to be a pretty terrible backseat driver. Um, my <laughs> wife loves me, and, and she, uh, she, she loves me dearly, but she also loves me to drive because my natural instinct, and I try not to do it all the time, but it just <laughs> comes sometime, uh, is to be a backseat driver. So I'll probably have to drive your vehicle when you pick me up from the airport. But anyway, all, all that to say, we don't like someone else speaking into our lives, especially a stranger on the streets uh, who we're in a conversation with. But So we create that common ground where they're on the same page. But then we ask, what if someone speaks into your life to save the life of someone else? What if that's necessary? Uh, and the question is, if it's necessary, you know, to protect born children, whether it be, you know, telling someone to, to swerve because there's a skateboarder on the road or a little child running after a soccer ball or what or whoever it might be. If if it's OK to sort of backseat drive in those situations, why not for preborn children? And, and what that gets you at, and we've talked about it on previous episodes, so we won't dive into it too deeply now, but what that gets you at, to the point in the conversation where people will often say something along the line, lines of, okay, but they're different or they're not human. And that's where we want them. We That's where we get to talk about the humanity of preborn children and the science behind that. We've talked about that in episode two, among other episodes, so go check that out. Um, but that's what, that's what we're doing with common ground, finding common ground and using analogies and asking questions. Well, Cam, let's go to the second one now. This is one that I've heard more often, believe it or not. Hmm. And that is the argument that abortion is between a woman and her God. And I'll never forget uh, being in Florida in front of the Orlando Women's Center, Center with our friend John Barrows. Uh, he, as we've talked about in the past, has ministered in front of this 
the center almost every day for over a decade now. And he, he sees, I think it's around 30 children saved a month or so. So average one a day. Um, but he meets all kinds of people. He talks to all kinds of people who are entering this clinic. I'll, I'll never forget a few people that he was talking with and, and that I've talked to as well who would say something along the lines of, yeah, but God's going to forgive me for this. I'll just ask for forgiveness for God after this. It's just between me and God. And, you know, we'll make it right after I get the procedure done and I leave here today, which I find to be a, a particularly terrible witness. But so so this is something we hear on the streets. Abortion is between a woman and her God. So I'm just curious. Um, and I'll ask you the same question. Is there something that they're getting at here? What is it that they're getting at uh, when they're responding to us with this sort of phrase? I, I think in large part, it's a very similar kind of point that I mentioned before, but it, it speaks even more to the core of, I'm so tired of all of these different voices. Maybe I'm getting confused. Maybe I'm getting overwhelmed. You know what? I'm going to make a decision that seems to make sense for me and God will, God will judge me. He's the one who knows my heart. He knows my intentions. He knows all the stuff that I was going through. He's the only one who understands me. Therefore, he's the only one who can judge me, which in part, I think you and I could probably agree with. In part, I know that, I mean, not in part, I, I know full well that God knows me more than I know myself. I know that God knows you more than you know yourself or that I know you or anything like that. I know that God knows us better than anyone. Ironically, many of the people who say this um, are not actually concerned about the judgment of God. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode about how I chuckle when people cite quote unquote karma saying, oh, if um, karma will come back and get me, God will judge me, the universe will judge me and like my dog will die or something like that. Like, not that I believe that karma works, but if karma did work, that's not how it would work. Um, ultimately, what they're getting at is I don't want to have to figure out exactly what's right. I don't want to have to wade through all the varying opinions. I don't want to have to wade through all of the conflicting information. I just want to go either with a gut reaction or, um, or a decision that I've gone with. And you know what? I will deal with the consequences. And as Christians, you and I, Peter, we that terrifies us, right? I mean, if if I was going to be held accountable for all of my sins, if if the judgment came before the mercy, as it were, I'm hooped, right? I mean, we're all hooped. Um, our, our only hope is in God's mercy. And so um, the idea of only God can judge me should terrify us. But at the end of the day, that is an expression that many people make at the end of a long day of of being overwhelmed and trying to figure out the right thing. And it's just a matter of, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to make a decision and run with it and I'll deal with the consequences. The consequences are very, very harsh, not even to get into the eternal consequences, but the immediate consequences of abortion, first and foremost for the child. And because of that, for the mother who copes with those um, outcomes afterwards, this is a very severe thing that we want to help people with. I think we need to understand our role in this abortion conversation, especially with somebody like this who's citing that only God can judge me, that we're not here to replace God as judge. We are not here to be the judge, nor the jury, nor the executioner. That is not our role. Our role is to be the helper. Our role is to be the care and support and whether that's just information or whether that's material support, whether that's emotional, psychological, whatever kind of support that looks like, um, we 
absolutely need to be that support. That's why we're having the conversation, not because we want to replace God as judge, but because we want to help them make a better decision to, in some ways, in many ways, avoid judgment, as it were. Does that make sense? I know that's a long rambly way of what they're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I totally understand that. And yeah, that, while this is something that uh, that you hear, I do agree with you that that they're not quite saying what they're actually saying. They're getting at something a little bit different uh, than what they're saying. And that is, you know, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And the consequences uh, I'm going to deal with later, whatever they might be. And I agree with you that, you know, recognizing the holiness of God, when they say, you know, I'd rather be judged by God, you know, I'm going to be judged by God. And, and you know, you don't have to judge me uh, as that's some sort of consolation. I think I'd far rather be judged, uh, not <laughs> I think, but I would far rather be judged uh, by those around me than by God. Um, because, yeah, I mean, like you said, God knows my sins far more. And it's, for, it's because of the mercy of Jesus that we can find any sort of hope uh, and, and reconciliation or restoration with him. And so while those things are actually important to talk about with people around us, with people in our culture, when it comes to abortion and trying to convince people not to end the life of their child, not to use this sort of false and terrible reasoning to end the life of their child and be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and then deal with the consequences later, the consequences of which are you now are the mother or the father of a dead child. How can we respond well when it comes to this sort of thing? We, we talk again about common ground, uh, finding common ground, using analogies and asking questions to really challenge them at their core about the humanity of preborn children. So what's one of the first things that you would say to a person like this when they bring up an argument like this? What's the common ground you would you would make? And how would you build on that with the analogies and the questions? Yeah, so I, I would dive right into the common ground similar to last time of, you know what, you and I agree that there's a ton of stuff going on around the abor any abortion decision. It can be overwhelming, that it can feel like you're getting voices from so many different directions, so many different people trying to give you advice, and that can be overwhelming. Absolutely. I go into the analogy and I say, imagine somebody was overwhelmed by all the stuff going on in their life with a two-year-old. Draw out the toddler. What would we say if a mother made the decision that, you know what, infanticide, um, killing a two-year-old, killing a five-year-old, killing however old her child is, that's just between me and God. Therefore, let me live in peace and God will give me judgment at the end of my life. Would we ever let somebody commit a terrible crime like that because God will judge them in the end? No. And if not, then why a preborn child? That this isn't a matter of the sin of presumptive mercy sort of thing. Obviously, we know that God is a merciful God. Obviously, we know that people who have abortions can receive mercy um, and often do receive mercy when they repent of their sins, um, just like anyone else. And yet, um, we want to stay on the straight and narrow. We want to, yeah, those three steps. I agree with you that this can be incredibly overwhelming and that it. we don't want other people judging us. We don't want any more people judging us for our decisions. Imagine somebody was going to make the similar decision to kill a born child with the notion that only God could judge them and that nobody should try to counsel them out of killing their born child. If we're not willing to allow that mother to kill her born child for fear of quote unquote judging her, why not? Why a preborn child? Make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, this is well, great. Uh, and it's similar to the first one because the argument is similar to the first one, obviously. Um, but but highlighting, as you've talked about, 
the humanity of born children, why we wouldn't be allowed to do something like this to born children, and then comparing them to preborn children, uh, because there really is no inherent difference between born children and preborn children. There are differences, absolutely, between size, level of development, their environment, their degree of dependency, and so on. Uh, but there's no difference inherently in their humanity, in who they are as a, a complete human being, a, a unique individual. And so that's key. Uh, and right away you, there, you go back to the human rights argument um, when they start talking about perhaps differences between born and preborn children and the, talking about the humanity of preborn children that my life uh, my life and your life, Cam, and everyone, uh, everyone's lives began at the moment of fertilization. So with that, we'll dive into the, the third one here. And that is, if you don't adopt, you can't fight against abortion, right? <laughs> I, I, I've heard this many times. I know you've heard this. I, I'll never forget uh, a story. My aunt was, uh, she, she's adopted. I think she's my aunt or maybe my mom's, my mom's aunt or my mom's cousin. Anyway, a relative of mine <laughs> uh, has adopted and she was walking in the March for Life and a protester was yelling at her and, and said something along these lines. And she had her adopted son with her and and she was like, oh, by the way, yeah, here he is. Like, this is, you know, I have adopted here. Here's my son. And that shut the protester up pretty quickly. But the sort of truth that abortion is wrong uh, is not, does not hinge on the fact that pro-lifers might adopt or might not adopt. Uh, I know a lot of people in the pro-abortion camp try to trap us by saying, if you don't do this particular thing, if you don't support children here, if you don't uh, support this uh, particular version of sex education or whatever it might be, you're not actually consistently pro-life and therefore abortion is okay. But abortion doesn't hinge on whether I do anything. I could be a real jerk in life. I could be a real great guy in life um, doing anti-abortion work. And that doesn't change whether abortion is right or wrong. We need to look at act like what abortion is. And so when someone says something like this, Cam, is there something they're getting at here as well? Um, why would why would people typically say something like this in a, as a way to sort of stump pro-lifers and justify their position on abortion? I feel like at, it, at its core, Peter, we're, we're dealing with a put up or shut up kind of situation where we, we get people who are saying, you are an armchair critic. You are coming from your perspective of, of untarnished, no challenges, no difficulties, no experience with these hard circumstances, and trying to speak into the mire of real life. You're coming from your, your ivory tower and trying to speak into the, the filth and dirt and complication and grayscale of daily life, and there isn't the black and white. And so if I'm going to hold your opinion to mean anything, then you need to demonstrate that you're not a hypocrite, that you need to be solving this problem yourself before you can ask anyone else to participate in the solution. And so I, I think that's often what they're getting at. And, and because there are a lot of people who are armchair critics, right? There are a lot of people who say, um, you should do this or you should do, uh, shouldn't do that. You shouldn't rely on... Uh, I'm, I'm sure this will be a spicy one for some of our listeners, but you shouldn't rely on social welfare or anything like that, but not be willing to support them either personally or through their church at all, right? This idea of you shouldn't need the crutch of society, but I'm also not willing to help you as a neighbor. And so people fire back. Well, if you're not going to help me, then don't bother trying to speak into my situation because if you're not here to offer solutions, um, don't bother pointing out the problems kind of thing. Uh, don't let the door hit you on your way out sort of thing. 
And they're really just trying to challenge pro-lifers to be consistent in, in some way. And I, I, I do in some ways respect them for that. I think that it is worth distinguishing between the people who say, you have to demonstrate that you actually materially ante up on this pro-life issue versus you have to adopt all of the children. Because I think there is something of a meaningful difference there, that it's not just a matter of doing something. You have to do everything. You have to be willing to adopt my child and my neighbor's child and my best friend's child and everybody else's child at the drop of a hat before I refuse to kill my child sort of thing. And that's what they're getting at, Peter. Yeah, that that's right. And I, I think being in the pro-life community, knowing a lot of pro-lifers, there are a, a lot of pro-lifers who are doing a lot. We've talked about this before in terms of Laura Clausen from Choice for Two's uh, Amazon registries that she has for um, pregnant mothers uh, who decided against abortion and how those fill up so quickly from pro-lifers uh, across Canada, the United States, and perhaps other places in the world as well. Pro-lifers are quick to stand up when the opportunity presents itself in many ways. Now, there's going to be anomalies. There's going to be the pro-lifers that we find who are hypocrites. But again, that doesn't change the fact that abortion is immoral, that abortion uh, ends the life of a human being. It doesn't change the fact that abortion is in and of itself evil. And so how do we respond to someone when they say something like this, Cam? When, when, you know, perhaps they're asking you, you know, I've had people on the streets, um, they, they say, well, have you adopted anyone? Like, do you adopt anyone? Do you, you know, spend money on this? Do you spend money on that? Do you give your time to this sort of thing? Mm -hmm. now, for me, I mean, when you think about it, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to talk about all these different issues. This is what I believe about sex education. This is what I think uh, pregnancy resource centers should do. This is what they are doing. And this is what I've given to them uh, in the last month or year or whatever it might be. It's easy to get sidetracked uh, and not actually talk about abortion. You've mentioned this before that abortion act act activists win when they change the conversation, divert the conversation and our attention to talk about something other than abortion. And so it's easy to do that. It's easy to be diverted. It's easy to be distracted. But how can we respond in a way that, you know, we recognize what we're saying, we take into consider consideration what they are saying, but we also go back to the topic of abortion and highlight the inhumanity of that, uh, that practice. And so how do we do that, Cam? Yeah. So again, you walk through the same steps of common ground knowledge question. You find the common ground that you and I agree that it can be incredibly hypocritical if people are speaking into an injustice, but not willing to do anything. Imagine that there was a ton of people who were killing their born children. Imagine that um, there was an injustice like that happening. Would you say that you can't be against killing born children unless you adopt one, two, several, or all of the born children whose parents wanted to kill them. If not for born children, why for preborn children? That's the simplest way of framing it. That pivots us back to the fact that we've gone through um, a couple times here and constantly throughout the show that. This isn't about whether or not pro-lifers are consistent. I mean, if if somebody was going to go through a, an orphanage and say, you know what, we're, we're cutting back funding, we're going to throw these kids out on the street, or even better than that, because on the street they're just going to steal and, and loot and graffiti and listen to bad music and all that kind of stuff, we're going to kill all the children in this orphanage to save our province's budget by X amount of dollars unless you're willing to adopt them. I would argue, and most people would agree, that I don't need to adopt all of the children in that orphanage to be against 
killing all of the children in the orphanage. Certainly, if I'm at all able to, I ought to adopt a child from that orphanage. I ought to um, support initiatives that are going to better care for, provide for those children. I better ante up on that scenario. And yet at the end of the day, even if I don't, or even if I'm the only one and there's other people who are not making up the balance, that doesn't justify killing born children. If it doesn't justify killing born children, why would it justify killing preborn children? That's good. Yeah, thank you, sir. And once again, we're using a common ground analogy uh, analogies and questions. And one of the things I want to say as we wrap this up here, that was the last uh, justification or argument we're going to present for the day. But one of the things I want to say is that a lot of people that I've talked to when they hear the word apologetics, it's daunting. It seems like this big sort of, they need to have so much knowledge and so much philosophy memorized and so many good quotes from all these great people memorized and uh, know the arguments from from historians and, and theologians and philosophers of the past in order to adequately have conversations with people in our culture today. And that's sort of the idea that, that a lot of people have when they think about apologetics, be that Christian apologetics or whatever it might be. But I hope you're encouraged by this episode and some of the other ones that we've done like this, where, yes, there are different ways to respond to different arguments and different justifications for abortion. But in a sense, they all follow the same sort of framework. You don't need to be a complete genius. I'm not a genius, although Cam is. Uh, you don't have to be able to memorize extensive arguments and, and know just, just, a, just a, so much content. Um, but you have to have like this structure. You need to know a little bit, uh, of course, but these apologetics are simple in a way that you're able to, to, to engage with them. You're able to interact with others with these arguments. And as we've seen time and again on the streets with interns who are new, uh, just, just the same as staff members who are experienced, uh, or even volunteers who are experienced, people are changing their minds because of these arguments, um, as they're coupled with abortion victim photography. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode where we share some of the arguments that we hear on the streets and share with you and highlight how we would, we would respond to them in effective ways, in ways where we can actually see people change their minds, in ways where we actually can highlight the inhumanity of abortion in light of the humanity of preborn children. So thank you so much. As we wrap up, Cam, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? I'll just reiterate what you just mentioned there, Peter, that this can seem daunting, but it can be very, very manageable. I mentioned at the top of the show that we, our internship team was training a bunch of people out of Foremost, Alberta. Uh, we had around just over 20 people get trained and consistent feedback at the end of the training workshops is, wow, this seems so simple. We're doing common ground analogy question over and over again. We're using the four questions of the human rights argument. We're talking a little bit at times about age-based discrimination and comparing age-based discrimination to other forms of discrimination. Is it really that simple? And, and time and again, our interns are saying like, yeah, it is almost always that simple. There are times when we need to build in more of our heart apologetics and whatnot, but for a, a huge majority of conversations, it is that simple. We brought a bunch of them out door knocking, especially last Friday and Saturday. Um, and we had a ton of really cool conversations. And this one girl that I'll, I'll give a shout out to, her name's Alana, 16 year old girl, um, got trained, super passionate, a little bit nervous. She and I were out door knocking. We we're social distance from all the people. We were being super careful about how we were doing the door knocking. And she talked to somebody who supported abortion only in cases of sexual assault. She walked through common ground analogy question. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Human rights argument, bang, bang, bang. 
Yes, that makes sense. The woman changed her mind on abortion in case of sexual assault in less than 10 minutes. Alana walked away. She was just giddy with joy. And, and I couldn't blame her seeing somebody change their mind on abortion in one of the first times she'd ever been out having conversations. Not every conversation about abortion is easy, but the pro-life framework for conversation is very, very straightforward. And so go out, have conversations. If you want to get a full apologetics training workshop, the interns in Calgary are ready to do so. You can hit us up on our webpage. We'll line up a, a volunteer training um, with one of the interns and yourself, and we'll go from there. But that's everything from me, Peter. Awesome. I just want to say that not only the interns do presentations, but Cam is a phenomenal <laughs> presenter. There, There is a, a talk that he did on our YouTube channel. If you just search the Pro-Life Guys podcast on YouTube, there's a talk that Cam did titled How to Change Someone's Mind on Abortion. And... That, that gives a really good summary as well that highlights how good of a speaker Cam is. And you can book him and uh, I'll tag team with him if you'd like as well um, for your event, your church, your youth group, whatever it might be, uh, so that your group can, can learn these apologetics as a group and you can ask questions as they come up in person. So hit us up. You can do that uh, by reaching out on our website, ProLifeGuys.com or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter by searching the ProLife Guys podcast. I just want to highlight one more time our Patreon page, patreon.com slash guys. I just thought of one other thing uh, today, so or yesterday rather, at time of recording. So last week, once you once you listen to this, we released our very first video of our new series, Storytime with the Guys. Now, as you listen to this episode, you're, you're thinking, Cam is a great storyteller. He's great at speaking. I just want to hear more and more stories from Cam's time in the movement. Well, this is your opportunity. Uh, we are coming out every single week with a new video, with a new story or two or you know three stories um, from some of our experiences in the movement. Cam is going to share some of his. I'm going to share some of mine. But this is patron-only content. So uh, this is a, a huge thank you to those who are partnering with us in bringing the message uh, of the abortion war to the world and of good and sound and effective and winsome and compassionate and, and all the other good adjectives, um, apologetics um, that we are presenting so that many people can have good conversations as well, that the conversations about abortion go far beyond uh, complaining about uh, abortion after church on a Sunday morning over coffee, but go to interacting with those around us, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, uh, those on street corners that we meet. Um, and challenging those with opposing views on the topic of, of abortion so that we can change minds, so that we can see lives changed, and so that our culture can be transformed. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We're grateful for your support. Stay tuned. If you're listening to this on YouTube, on a, on a social media catcher, you want to watch us on YouTube, go hit that subscribe button on YouTube, hit that bell so you are continually notified or vice versa. Listen on your drive on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite content. Thank you so much, everyone. We hope you tune in again and again next week. God bless you all.